0: young people give their gifts to god and service in our community if you're a teenager or the rightful owner of a teenager stop by in the mall afterwards and talk to some of our youth leaders and get signed up for that event serve out loud next weekend well good afternoon and welcome to our mission celebration weekend we're glad that you're here and worshiping here with us tonight if you're a guest we want to especially welcome you glad that you've come and joined us this weekend uh, if you are a guest, there's a communication card in the chair in front of you. If you could take that out and fill it out for us. It's not no one's going to come to your house or to follow up on that. It's just a chance for us to know that you're here and to respond to any inquiries that you might have about the ministries of the church that happen throughout the week here at Timberline. There's also a place there to share any prayer requests. This is a praying church, and we would love to pray over any needs that you express with us, but we are so glad that you're here with us, you can drop that card in the offering at the end of the service uh, when, when that happens. I would like to invite the ushers to come at this time for our regular tithes and offerings. Could you bow your heads with me as we thank God for uh, His faithfulness to us? God, we, we love you. We are so grateful for your goodness to us, your faithfulness to us. And God, tonight as we give as a part of our worship, As a part of our exalting you and a part of our gratitude to you, we pray that you would take these gifts. And even as we celebrate your work through us, God, that you would do exactly that, that you would take these gifts in ways that we couldn't imagine, that you would reach out into this community and change lives for eternity. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, once a year, we set aside a weekend to celebrate all that God has allowed us to do in the last 12 months. Through him and through his work and missions. We also look forward to a lot of opportunities, invite you to be a part of missions here at Timberline in the 12 months to come. You likely noticed as you came in uh, today in the mall area, there's a whole bunch of those stories and opportunities of what God is doing. Please take your time as you leave today because there's a lot of stuff out there. You find out about Upcoming trips, local ministry opportunities. We have missionaries from Colorado and even missionaries from Timberline Church that we're sending out this summer that I would love for you to meet and to get to know a little bit. Information about our new website, lovereaches.org. We want you to keep up with missions here at Timberline Church by by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter. And I don't think I've ever said that before, but, but we, we have that now, and we would love for you to check that out. There is a color-coded insert in your program that is your guide to visiting the mall tables. There's a whole bunch of them as you walk out today. Please take some extra time to do that. Two things for sure that I want to make sure that you do before you leave tonight. If you've not already bought your tickets for our mission celebration dinners, One of them is Sunday night right here at 6 o'clock on the Fort Collins campus. The other is Monday night at 6 o'clock at the Windsor campus. $2 for a full Texas Roadhouse dinner and a great missions program. There's a separate kids' missions program that's happening at the same time for kids up to age 12, so plan to come as a family. Tickets will sell out, so please buy them in the mall. The the last thing is Haiti Child Sponsorship. We have committed this weekend to sponsor 100 children from the community of Dubisson, Haiti, who are served by our partner church there, a church that we walk alongside and partners with us in ministry Please stop by there at that table, take a look at, at one of those children, and find out how you can literally change the lives of one of these kids. You know, we're taught in Scripture that it takes the faith of only a tiny little mustard seed to see miracles happen in our lives and in the lives of others. Well, we've been on the front row of a lot of miracles this year, including five families from here at Timberline who God has called to move overseas to, full, to serve full-time in missions. I want you to meet George Cisneros. George is one of those families that we're sending out this summer. I first met George on one of our team trips in Guatemala, and it didn't take me long to realize that I was in the middle of something huge that God was doing in George's life and in the life of his family. George, what in the world has led you guys into such a major journey of obedience?
1: That's a good question. I think from the outside, it probably looks like last November I went on this short-term missions trip, came back, and decided to be a full-time missionary. But that's not really what happened. Uh, About a year ago, I actually stopped praying. I was dealing with some things and decided, you know what? I'm not going to pray for safety anymore. I'm not going to pray for success and comfort. Um, I really decided I was going to pray for, uh, just. I just wanted to know God And I wanted to love God completely. And so I prayed to fall deeply in love with God. Through that prayer, uh, after a few months, my wife and I uh, were praying, and we were convicted, and we were called to do four things. We were called to start tithing. It was something that we weren't doing. We were doing kind of when we wanted to uh, or when we felt we could. We were called to honor the Sabbath. We were called to stop eating at restaurants for a year and to stop buying things for a year other than consumable items. So we were starting to be prepared even a year ago. Um, After that, I went on the short-term mission trip to Guatemala uh, in November. And during that trip, we had the opportunity to visit some young uh, kids at a feeding center. Walked into this feeding center, and there were almost 200 kids praising and worshiping God. All their hands were up in the air like I've never seen before. It was absolutely amazing. And I kind of took a step back. And you know those times in your life when... You know where you were when something big happened. Back in November, uh, at about 1.30 in the afternoon in Guatemala City, I realized at that moment, at that moment, I had fallen completely in love with Jesus Christ, and that's how our trip started.
0: Praise God. Praise God. Please stop by George and any of the other four families that are going out uh, this summer from Timberline Have five different paintings. These beautiful paintings are of actual children that they've met in the countries that they're going to serve and they have that as a gift for you. So stop by and see them uh, talk to them a little bit after the service and uh, get that special gift from them. There is uh, as a part of the special weekend we're taking two offerings and so at the end of the service. Uh, we will be taking a special missions offering. And all of the funds from that offering will go to support God's work through Timberline in this community and around the world. And a portion of that will go to support these families and to help to launch them out uh, as they go. There's a faith promise card in the chair in front of you, and I'd like you to take that out and to take that with you. The the, the, The card explains what a personal faith promise is, so you can read that. I want you to take that with you And it it may be that at the end of the service, uh, you're ready to put that in the offering. But what a faith promise does is it allows us to budget for how much of God's work through missions we can commit to in the coming year. And so we would like to know and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider. Take that with you. You can bring it back to one of the dinners that you attend or really any time in the next couple of weeks and turn that in. But we want you to prayerfully consider how God might be moving you to uh, give towards missions here at Timberline Church. Pastor Jeff.
2: Thanks, Mark. Good evening, everybody. I wasn't expecting that, hence I did not spring across the platform with the stealth of a gazelle. Why don't we say thanks to George and to uh, uh, Mark for all that they're doing. That's, That's great. Well, it's really great to see you tonight, uh, sharing in this great missions weekend. And also, we are continuing in our series, Eyewitness News. We're thinking about Mark's gospel. How many of you were here last weekend? Raise your hand if you were here. That's great. How many of you are here this weekend? (laughs) Last weekend, we were looking at Jesus getting into trouble with the religious crowd because uh, he was healing on the Sabbath. And uh, as we're going to see, as we think about this message, got stress, this is a period, uh, this episode in Mark 3 is a period where Jesus really entered into a, a, an extreme period of stress. So let's jump right in and have a look at Mark 3 and, and verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him." Oannes, oh, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Stress. Anyone here ever experienced stress? I wonder what stresses us out. I wonder what stresses you out. It might be overdue bills that are waiting to be paid. It might be being misunderstood in communication. It might be driving. It might be emails. It might be the workplace. Uh, somebody uh, did a survey just a few years ago in America and discovered just five years ago that 11 million people in America said that they were stressed out almost continually at work. And I don't know how they figure these, these stats out, but they, they think that that number has tripled in the last Uh, three years. 75% of the general population in the U.S. say that they experience some stress about every two weeks. I don't know what stresses you out. Maybe you get stressed by being asked stupid questions about stress by a preacher on a Saturday evening. Uh, One person defines stress like this. Uh, He said, stress is the confusion created when one's mind overrides the body's basic desire to choke the living daylights out of some jerk who desperately deserves it. (laughs) Uh, Another one said, stress is when you wake up screaming and you realize you haven't fallen asleep yet. I really like that. God, stress! Certainly, we have, and it's ironic, really, isn't it? Because we're living in a culture where we've got labour-saving devices, uh, where we have technology like never before. Where the most common public posture in 2012—let me act it out for you—it goes like this. It seems like most people in our world these days seems to—they seem to—they're out to dinner together, and they're that they're doing this Uh, they have the opportunity to communicate with those with whom they're sharing dead chicken but they prefer to do this and of course uh, we all experience moments of stress and sometimes I discover in my own life as you know too well my stresses are created by my own ineptitude I'm gifted in that area I was in Texas a few weeks ago and a gentleman gave me a pen made out of a bullet Only in Texas would such a gift be forthcoming. And he said, but don't take it with you through airport security. And I forgot that (laughs) instruction. Sometimes stress is created by our own foolishness. Sometimes life just feels like it's overwhelmingly stressful. Someone has said, if your teeth are clenched and your fists are clenched, your lifespan is probably clenched. But most of us are trying to identify stress, or manage stress, or avoid stress altogether. But there's something really interesting here in in Mark's gospel, because as I've said, Mark is describing a stressful season in Jesus' life. He is being crushed physically by the crowds. So many people are showing up the NIV says that they are crowding him. The word means to crush him. And then Mark says they're pushing forward to touch him. They're pressing upon him. An excited, a desperate, and angry crowd is a terrifyingly dangerous weapon. I remember uh, back in the UK on the 15th of April, 1989, watching the harrowing images uh, from Uh, the Hillsborough Football Soccer Stadium in England where a crowd had surged through to try and get into the stadium. And just a few minutes later, there were 96 people dead with 766 other people injured. A crowd can be a very terrifying thing. And now, there's danger in Jesus' experience because the crowd is threatening to crush him. He's experiencing conflict. He's being... Criticized. He's experiencing the emotions of being surrounded by all of these stories and these terrible needs of so many people who were oppressed physically and spiritually. But as we share this mission celebration together this weekend, here's the somewhat strange point I want to make Jesus chose stress. Jesus deliberately chose to live a life and an experience because of his mission that involved pressure and stress. Now, strange as it may seem, therefore, as I share some reflections from this text, what I'm not going to share with you in the next 18 minutes and 36 seconds is four ways to avoid stress. But actually, and I know that that's desperately what some of you were perhaps looking for. But I want us to see how Jesus embraced mission-driven stress and lived beautifully in the midst of that. So if you're following along in the bulletin, let's see what we learn from this. First of all, in this episode, we see the call to care. The call to care, living for more than me. Verse 9, because of the crowd... He told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. There's an easy way out of that, Jesus. Just quit it. Just cancel the healing service. Just go and have coffee. Just say, sorry, the store is closed. But you see, Jesus came not to fulfill his own agenda but the father's agenda i think we can if we're not careful live with a mythical view of christianity that jesus has come to planet earth to make us all happy and that he is my personal savior just so that i can navigate through life as close in a, in a place of, close to uh, ecstasy as as possible. I'm not suggesting that Jesus has come in any way to make us miserable. But Christianity is not an invitation simply to self-possessed self-actualization. It is a call to us to come and die to ourselves and live for purpose. We often hear, don't we, about go-getters. Oh, she's a real go-getter. And I think what we need is to understand that we're called to be go givers, not go getters. Anyone remember that TV show 100 years ago? Um, Supermarket Suite. Does anyone remember that? It was fairly obscene. Uh, basically, what happened is that people had uh, in a studio that was made to look like a grocery store. By the way, in case you were wondering, it wasn't real. But they had had to race around the grocery store, gathering up as much stuff as they could. What is it the T-shirt says? He who dies with the most toys wins. No, they don't. B.C. Forbes said, The human being who lives only for himself finally reaps nothing but unhappiness. Selfishness corrodes. Unselfishness ennobles, satisfies. Don't put off the joy derivable from doing helpful, kindly things for others. And and maybe as we think about others this weekend, and mission, and embracing stress and pressure for the sake of mission, maybe there's a challenge to our own hearts. Um, Do do I kind of live my life just grabbing and looking out for for self? Just a few hours ago, Chuck Colson, most famous historically in America for his part in the Watergate scandal for which he went to prison, this man who uh, the, the Washington Post this afternoon said was the dirty tricks guy of the Nixon administration one day uh, he was quoted on one occasion to say in saying that he would walk over his own grandmother to ensure the re-election of President Nixon this man who was completely locked on that very selfish and wrong agenda he went to prison and he found Christ and his life was changed and about Four hours ago, he went home to be with the Lord. This 80-year-old Christian statesman now who gave us epic books like The Body, who poured out his life. And sometimes I think when we we feel like we're self-obsessed, we think, well, that's just the way I am. I could never change. And as we thank God for the memory this afternoon of Chuck Colson, we realize that we can change we can be utterly different. And he gave us the ability to think Christianly in the way we think about our world. And he gave us the prison fellowship, realizing that we need to look at people differently and not just categorize them. A man self-obsessed, you might say, changed utterly. The call is to care. And then secondly, the call is to community. The call is to community, taking our place with the people of God. Verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Jesus created a community and did stress, if you will, in community. I think sometimes we have a dysfunctional vision of what the church is. We can think that the church is just, well, I go Saturday night and I sing some songs and I pray some prayers, or I, or I go to church to get fed. I'm always a little bemused when people say, well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm being fed, because normally the only people who actually need to be fed are under the age of two or over the age of 90 in certain conditions. And we can develop this idea that church is like a kind of, Uh, a fast food joint, if you will, where we get plugged in and we get a little excited and fired up and we pray our prayers and then we go into another week. What happens here gives us, if we can see it, a wonderful sense of the bigness of church. Jesus takes his disciples and he chooses 12 of them. What's going on? The 12, the number 12 is very significant. And it takes us right back to Genesis where God, who is community, the Trinity, created a community in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. That community messed up. There is the first murder. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are called primeval history. And in Genesis chapter 11, it all descends to a terrible place at the Tower of Babel. And there is this confusion of languages as this humanistic experiment fails because God says I'm not having that on my earth and right there in Genesis 11 in the destruction of that if you like idolatrous community Genesis 12 Abraham is called go travel with me I'm going to create a new kingdom community and there's a promised land and there are 12 tribes and Israel is created to be a model community in the earth, to demonstrate to the earth what living life with God looks like. So now as Jesus takes 12 to the mountain, we get immediately the understanding that something epic is taking place as a new Israel is being created. It's interesting, isn't it, at least to me, the day of Pentecost. It's not only about speaking in tongues and power But on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, the confusion of the Tower of Babel is reversed. And suddenly the confusion is replaced by understanding. Aha! The kingdom people are in business again. And clarity and understanding is breaking out everywhere. In other words, folks, thank God for church. But let's realize the bigness of what we're part of. That's why I want to suggest to one or two of us to stop attending Timberline. And I can see some of you slapping the side of your head right now, saying, what do you mean by that? Well, if you've only been here a couple of times, then you keep on attending. But for some of us, you know, it might be that we've been around for a while, but we're still attending, and it's time for us to quit attending and really be joined in heart together, in this big thing called the church. You know, because I occasionally talk about them when temptation comes upon me. I've got two grandchildren now. They're, they're, they're at genius level. Stanley's three. He's in medical school already. It's <laughs> staggering. It was his birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I couldn't be there. And I called Stanley. I said, how are you doing, Stanley? He was having a big Buzz Lightyear party. He was dressed up as Woody, the cowboy. Am I making any sense to anybody? And I said, this little boy, th- this little English boy, he's three years old. I said, how are you doing, Stanley? He said, I'm fine, Granddad. He said, I'm just waiting for my guests to arrive. <laughs> yeah, Jolly good. Well done. I am not attending the Lucas family. I'm joined to the Lucas family. It's a heart thing. And as we get a big vision of the church, some of us, let's, let's quit attending and be joined in heart. And then thirdly, there's a call to identity here, a call to identity affirming our authority in Christ. Look at verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. I met a couple of English chaps this week for the first time and I had a pretty rough time, I've got to tell you, with them. Um, one of them started to talk about the Second World War. And he looked across the table at me, and he said, You remember, Jeff, rationing during the war? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, right, yes. So I, I didn't want to disillusion him uh, to the fact that I wasn't born until 11 years after the war and I'm just sitting there thinking I've obviously had a rough life that's just (laughs) and then I I, 10 minutes later I met another English couple and we started talking and they looked at me and they asked me this question they said what did you used to do (laughs) right now I'm in the stage of having once done something And I I smiled and I said, well, actually, I'm still doing what I do. And they looked wide-eyed like, what medical miracles are taking place? (laughs) They didn't know the, the truth about my age. It's one thing for someone else to not know who you are. It's really rough if you don't know who you are. But I believe so often as Christians that we don't understand our identity and our authority. When we think about missions this weekend, we're not just a bunch of do-gooders who are trying to do nice stuff around the world. But we come as people who want to take the authority that we have in prayer and compound that with the call that we have to proclaim and compound that with the authority that we have to confront evil wherever it's manifested in the earth. We're not just a bunch of do-gooders, but we are missional people given authority by God. By the way, if, if you want to study something this week, study that verse 14, because it's a great description of what balanced Christianity should be. That we might be with him, that we're sent out to preach... that we have authority. Some Christians are all relationship with Jesus and all church going, but they don't do anything with it. And some Christians are all action and busyness and running around, but they don't have any relationship with Jesus. There's a very balanced trinity, if you will, of what it means to be a disciple there. Well, the last thing I want to say to conclude is that here is the call of the ordinary. We see flawed people can change the world. The call of the ordinary... Flawed people changed the world. Verse 16, these are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Did you know that Jesus had a large group to pick from? In Luke chapter 6, we realize we, we see there that he took a group of disciples with him and he chose 12 of them out of that group. I wonder what that felt like. Did you ever go through that torturous experience that I went through in high school when it was the time for the picking of the teams? And they got two stunning, handsome or beautiful athletes as the team captains, and they lined you up for this parade of shame. Now, of course, I was in England at the time, so it wasn't American football or or baseball. It was it was soccer, God's game. But it was it was. I can remember, I wasn't a Christian then, but I remember praying about it. I remember saying, Oh God, if you are there, I will do anything, I will be a martyr for you, if I could just be picked, at least before the last three are picked. Because you know what happens. You know, they 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 take the real, you know, the real. Muscly, fine physique people, you know, like I'm, like I'm modelling right now. <laughs> Thanks for your support. And then they, uh, we'll take him, we'll, we'll take him, we'll take him, and you're standing there going, please. <laughs> and at last. And the only other person to select is a dog and it's dead. (laughs) They go, oh, well, well, yeah, come on, Lucas. We'll have you on our team to make it fairer for the other side. I don't know what it felt like, but the team that Jesus picked, can I just say this, it's flat out odd. You've got Simon Peter, who ran around with his mouth in gear and his brain in neutral a lot of time. You've got Andrew, the great networker. You've got James and John. I love this. Boanerges, the Greek Orthodox Church calls them, calls John, the thunder voiced. They went into a Samaritan village and refu- they refused to hear Jesus there. So these boys, they say, shall we call down lightning from heaven and in judgment? Lord Jesus, could we have your permission, please, to nuke the village? <laughs> so you've got them, and then you've got Simon the Zealot, who hated the Roman authorities, and then you've got Matthew the retired tax collector who was a puppet of the Roman authorities. I don't think these guys just wandered down the dusty roads of Galilee singing Christian choruses together and swaying. I think there were times of great conflict. I don't think. I know. Some of them are recorded. James and John got their mother to go to Jesus and say, like any good Jewish mother would. Can my boys have the best thrones on the, on the big day? One at your right, one at your left. That, by the way, was a Jewish accent. <laughs> Some of you are going, that sounded like a drunk South African. That's what that sounded like. How about a throne for my boys? They're vying, they're competitive. There's potential conflict. They are ordinary. But ordinary people change the world. I sat down with a bunch of friends this week and there was a new friend there that had not met, he'd not met most of us before. And at the end of one conversation, he simply said this. He said, you guys talk to each other. You talk to each other. The simple act of sharing and openness and honesty Attracted attention. Sometimes I think we try and make this whole thing into being some kind of rocket science. Sometimes simple acts of kindness and listening and grace. Ordinary people doing ordinary things can really change the world. When I heard this afternoon, Pastor Dick Foth called me and said, Have you heard about Chuck Colson? I had not that he had gone home to be with the Lord this afternoon. I thought I would give the last word of this sermon to him. As we think about embracing stress voluntarily, as we think about mission, as we think about church, Colson was a man for the church. He said, Chuck Colson said this in his epic book, The Body, he said, in a world full of shadows, It is sometimes difficult for us to believe we can really make a difference. Sometimes our little light seems small indeed. Sometimes the darkness looks overwhelming. But throughout history, the church has shone as a community of light that cannot be quenched. In a thousand dim arenas of need around the world, the light still shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot Distinguish it. we are going to take time now we've deliberately carved out time for us to think and to reflect as you've already heard from Pastor Mark uh, in about seven minutes from now we will be receiving a, a, a second offering we do that with without any hint of apology because all of this money is going out to support uh, timberline missions initiatives expanding vision and partnerships and some of the initial expenses of our five lovely timberline families who are going to the mission field this summer but i'd like to take you if i may through video to a stadium And we are going to hear the praises of God sung in a number of of languages, in Hindi, in Indonesian, in Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, Zulu, Afrikaans. See, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Remember what I said about the reversal of the Tower of Babel? Suddenly, many languages, but everyone understanding. That's what this missions weekend is about, to make the language of the good news of Jesus understood throughout the earth. So we're going to just sit and reflect, and you might want to take your faith promise card out, and and I know perhaps many of us, perhaps most of us are going to take that card home and be praying about that. But I'd like you just to enjoy this video, but can I just say before we get into it, look out for the wonderful children from Africa and then look out at the end for the Chinese Christian who sings in Mandarin. And I listened to him sing this afternoon, Well, Shen Zen Wei Da. The literal translation is, My God is really big. Singing not in a stadium with thousands of happy Christians, but singing on the streets of China where it can be dangerous to declare my God is big so let's enjoy let's enjoy this together can I invite you maybe and you don't have to do this if you're not comfortable but maybe if you'd like to lift your hands as that, that Chinese believer was singing that song my heart was stirred it's, it's wonderful to sing the songs of the Lord in here I want to sing them out there And if you'd like to, maybe you've never done this before, but why don't we really join our voices with voices around the world? Because that's what all of this this mission weekend is about. It's enabling every tribe and every tongue and every nation to discover the greatness of the Lord Jesus who was dead but is alive. He was dead and he is alive So let's sing Let's sing the refrain and however you want to worship be free to worship how great is our God So now Lord we go out into our mission field We pray that you'll help us to live lives that sing God is big. God is great. We go in your name and in your love, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Great to see you this weekend. Prayer team will be here. If we can pray with you, we would love to do that. Don't forget uh, the missions, celebration banquets, tomorrow and Monday. God bless.